Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. And as always, I have my partner in crime to my left, NDSU's own, Neil Kulong. What's happening, Bison? You bet. Go Bison. Down year for down year for the herd this year. They actually did not win a national championship. That's something that uh, we have not said much in the last 12 years, but it is the truth. I know this, though, Lance. It's the Steelers offseason. It's the business season, as you call it. Yes. And Bison or not, Steelers are rolling on. And you know what? I feel like they are in a better position this offseason than they were last offseason. And that includes the the uh, the presence of the most popular and loved offensive coordinator in the NFL, Matthew Saskatchewan. Yes, <laughs> Matthew Ottawa, Matthew Toronto is back. And what's up, Mark Slauson? We'll jump into your question since you're first in here. We'll jump into it today for sure, as always. If you want to participate in the program, make sure you go to YouTube and do a search for The New Standard and Lance Williams or Neil Colong. We're also monetized now, so I think there are a variety of ways uh, in which you can contribute to the show. I think there's a super chat of some sort. Um, If you see it in there, let me know if it's there. If you want to participate that way, thank you. We appreciate it. Um, also, the show is available on podcast form. You can look for you know a social any of your podcast feeders or readers and whatever they're called, and do a search for the new standard and Lance Williams Steelers, Neil Kulong, Lance Williams, some combination of the two. And as you guys look on the screen, what you see rolling on the bottom is the question that we want to dig into today: is why did Mike Tomlin? retain Matthew Canada, a.k.a. Matty Toronto, a.k.a. Maple Matt, for the 2023 season. Now, before we jump into that, I want to give some analytical reasons and some numbers as to why that question is puzzling. Let me start with the most important stat in football, and that's points per game. And what I'm going to do is give you what the Steelers' stats are, and compare those with the NFL's best. Now, in terms of points per game, the Steelers averaged 18.1, which was 26th. The NFL leader is playing in the AMC Championship for the fifth consecutive year, and that's Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They are averaging 29.2. That's a difference of 11 points. In terms of points per play, it makes sense that Points per play would be impacted as well if you don't score much. The Steelers are 28th. The Chiefs were number one. The Steelers scored .278 points per play to the Chiefs .543. Big difference there. Also, points per drive. Chiefs were number one. Steelers 23rd. Point margin in terms of point margin in terms of victories. And typically, that is a good stat because teams typically with a negative point differential, don't make the playoffs. Correct me if I'm wrong, Neil. Did the Vikings have a negative point differential this year? I think they finished under uh, the positive mark, largely in steam of a a brutal beatdown they took toward the end of the year. But they were flirting around that level all season, whether they finished plus 
five or whatever in, in that category, that there was a team that just didn't show any sense of consistency week in and week out, and not an incredible surprise that uh, they lost in, in the wild card round. And, you know, in terms of yards per point, which is a great indicator of big plays in your offense, it took the Steelers 18 yards to get a point compared to the Cowboys, the NFL best, who lost this past weekend in the divisional round. The Cowboys scored in every 12.9, or it took 12.9 yards for them to score a point, a difference of five yards, meaning there was a lack of explosion in the Steelers' offense. As reflected in yards per attempt, the Steelers were 28th, 6.4. The Dolphins were number one at 8.2, a difference of two yards. And let me give you these last stats here. Offensive DVOA. Steelers were 18th compared to the Chiefs, who were number one. Offensive passing DVOA, Steelers 18, the Chiefs number one. Offensive rush DVOA, the Steelers were 15th to the Eagles, who were number one. Last but not least, passes over 20 yards. The Steelers were 23rd in the league with 44. Surprising. The Chiefs, uh, it actually is surprising. The I, Chiefs I honestly, I don't remember 44 I, do, I don't. Yards. I really I do, don't. I don't. I, I, I don't. They had to be like short dinks and guys ran for like 15. I, I don't that. remember. <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't remember uh, many. Did Jalen Warren have? <laughs> yes. Uh, a bubble screen or something. The Chiefs had 73 pass plays over 40 yards. The Steelers were 32nd in the league, which is last of only three. And the Dolphins had 14. So my question to you, Neil. Looking at that statistical backdrop, and big up Felicia, look at that statistical backdrop. I have a reason why he retained Matt Canada. Looking at those stats, which are dreadful, in my opinion, there is no realistic statistical reason if you look at those numbers, and maybe I nitpicked them, why he should return. In your opinion, why did Mike Tomlin keep Matt Canada? Um, <clears throat> the 10,000-foot-level bullet points here, um, I think it, it, it needs to start with uh, the money. I don't know exactly how much Matt Canada makes. I know um, some in the media have made a huge thing out of what Steelers coaches are paid. We don't know what those numbers are. I can tell you, though, Brian Flores is not getting paid less than most linebackers coaches in the league. So it, it's not as if they don't necessarily spend money, but having to buy out Canada's contract, which has a year left, and then pay a better Matt Canada, which logically would be Matt Canada plus X, that might not be appealing to the Steelers considering where they are and where they're trying to go. That does not mean that I think it's a great option. It doesn't mean that I think it's what they ought to do, but I can see from a business perspective why they wouldn't because that's the reality. To get somebody who is a, clearly a step above Canada, considering the knowledge that Canada has intimately of the players on the team, of what they've been running, what they're good at, what they're capable of doing, um, to bring in somebody who's going to do better than that with this group, okay, Coaches do not make all pro players. It just doesn't work that way in most cases, okay? 
you can't bring in somebody and expect talent to just flourish. You have to have dudes to play in this league. You, you have to. That's just the reality of it. You talk about the Chiefs, they have dudes, okay? It, it's not that Andy Reid and or Eric Bieniemy are not good coaches, but they have a lot to work with that Matt Canada does not. It's as simple as that in, in many cases. The money that you would have to spend to bring in an offensive coordinator, as we talked about in our last show, Lance, who wants to come to Pittsburgh, okay? Keep that in mind. He has to want to come to Pittsburgh. He does not have the allegiance, the loyalty, the, the blind homeristic perspective of this team that you do. They, they don't view it that way. The objective reality is there's not a ton of offensive talent on this team. And to take on the job of repairing it all and fixing it might be more than a one-year operation. And it might be something that requires um, it, them to invest two years of, of their time into it. The best coordinator candidates are guys who are going to be head coaches in two, three years. So does this help them or hurt them? I don't know exactly. My point is that you're logically, there are a couple who aren't going to want this job. So what are you getting out of anybody else? And then for the Steelers to pay double, at least, on top of what they already have, it just might not add up. You know, from, from the Steelers' perspective, it might not add up. But, but... This is completely conditional on the fact that Matt Canada had one year left on his contract. If he did not have one year left in his contract, I'd, I'd have bet a lot that he wouldn't be here. So in other words, save this, record this now. I don't think Canada is <laughs> going to be around after the 2023 season. I think the conversation we have roughly 364 to 366 days from now, Lance, is going to be on how Matt Canada is no longer the offensive coordinator of the team. I'm, I'll just – I don't think that's a stretch either. Um, the second part to weigh in with all of this is you have to be reasonable. You have to be objective in how you're evaluating this. The numbers that you put in there are absolutely bad. What we can't do is parse out uh, the, the back half of this season. Post by yes, where yes. are they in those numbers? It's not great. Yes but it's a hell of a lot better than it was to start. So you have to be able to say Canada, as much as you hate him as terrible as he is for running the ball on second and 10, that bothers me too. You can't say objectively, he did not get the job done to a large degree. Most of the second half of the season, too little, too late. I'm not arguing that, but if we're going to look at the season total of numbers, we're not telling the right story. The story here is where this team is going not where it was. Back in August, we talked about this consistently on this show, Lance. This team was going to struggle offensively big time early on. Big time. And they did. They, they did everything they could to make that prediction true. All right? They were a horrible offensive team to start off the season. And it took a while for them to get into their rhythm. New starters on the offensive line do not just – they're not plug and play. It's really hard to do that. Plus, you've got yet another new offensive coach. That's what, two and two years for Dan Moore. That's, I don't know how many for James Daniels. He changed teams, as did, um, why do I Mason always Cole. Mason Cole. Chooks Okorafor has had three, what, four coaches in four years. Two position changes. There was a lot of upheaval on that offensive line. Oh, yeah, and then hmm, two new quarterbacks. One of them is a rookie. 
there's a lot to make up for in all of that. Then, and I, I was absolutely in favor of this. I thought it was a fantastic move, one that I didn't possibly think was going to happen. They traded Chase Claypool in the middle of the season. That's a, a slot guy that they expected to get 100 targets out of. You got rid of that for a price you had to take, absolutely had to take it. My point, though, is there was upheaval at every level going through this season, yet they ended on a better note. They ended much better than where they started. Add in the dollars, put aside the fact that they had a night and day season. The direction they're going in, to me, I I can see why they would keep Matt Canada. It is not my money, okay? But if it was, I probably would side with that as well. It's not my money, so I don't care. I'd rather them have a better offensive coordinator. It, it, It just might not be the most realistic thing right now. I don't know if that made sense. That was far longer than I intended it to be. I no, thought. no, no. It made a lot of sense. And, and, and here's something I want to add. And big up to Blackjack Novak. That's a new name in the thread. Big up to Felicia. Big up to Marcus J. Kevin Jones. Big up to everybody in the chat. I don't see my man Mel, but I'm sure Mel will listen to this show a little bit later. Thank you, Felicia, for that information about the Super Chat feature and the Super Stickers. I will encourage you guys to use those, see how they work. Um, Also, I want to add is the number that I think you left out, and I think you were getting to it, but you didn't say it, was the number that trumps all the numbers. They went seven and two in the last nine. And if you say to your fan base, to your ownership, to your team, to your developing quarterback, who's building a rapport and a relationship with this guy, and you see that your offense is trending forward, not to the degree that I would be satisfied with, and I'm sure that they aren't. It's very hard to fire your coordinator when you go 7-2 and two over the last stretch, you finish 9-8, and eight, and the offense starts looking better, and your quarterback, particularly your new you hope to be franchise your quarterback, rookie quarterback is playing better. Your rookie guy. So the only way I think Matt Canada would have gotten fired this year would have been had they gone five and 12, had they gone, uh, I'm trying to keep it at 17. I'm thinking of 17, four, had they gone four and 13, four and 13, <laughs> see, see, yep, with the seventeen it, games, I, I had to practice it. I, I, I had to hate it. it. So if they went four and seventeen, he gets fired because when you juxtapose that record upon if your offense is getting better, you can always lean on the fact that oh, we weren't winning games. We're, we're going to get, we're going to fire this guy at the end of the day. The most important number, and I could give you a whole host of other numbers that basically would statistically prove what the Steeler offense, what we all knew it was, was average. But at the end of the day, they went nine and eight. They didn't go to the playoffs, but he could tell you that our offense was improving. We went seven and two over the last stretch. Kenny is playing much better played much better on the road in big games, so on and so forth. You could tell that to your owner, and guess what? You wouldn't be lying. You wouldn't be lying. You'd be telling the truth. So 
when you couple all that, I had I, I knew he wasn't getting fired. After it, after it was taking a little bit of time and, you know, Tomlin was gone for the exit interview, so on and so forth. It just so happened to happen on the day we did the show last weekend that he wasn't going to get fired. Mm -hmm. But we had a sense that he wasn't going to get fired. But I think you peeled back something that's more interesting. Is what has a greater impact on scoring? Dudes or scheme? And what is the ceiling for this offense with the combination of uh, Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett. And by the way, listeners, what would be the opposite of Matt Canada? Would it be Gregory USA? Would that be the opposite of, of Matt Canada? I think Gregory USA. And last but not least, while you dive into the question that I'm throwing to you is, the Steelers' job, if you want that sexy guy, like let's say Ken Dorsey, like the Steelers aren't going to do that. Set up a coordinator for a one-year exit. They, they're just not going to do that. And we see Ken Dorsey getting interviews and so on and so forth. That's just not going to happen. But what do you think is the ceiling? First of all, who's more responsible for scoring? Dude, scheme, combination of two. And what do you think is the ceiling for this combination of Pickett in Canada? Um, I'm going to start with the ceiling thing. I, I'll stay consistent with this. The ceiling is not incredibly high. Um, I like Kenny. I like Kenny the leader. Um, I think he's gutsy. I think he's a clutch performer kind of guy. He is not going to be a scoreboard lighter kind of quarterback. He's not going to light up the stat sheet. He's not the guy you're falling all over yourself to draft in fantasy Let me football. ask you something real quick before you, before you continue, uh, Neil. Is saying he's gutsy the equivalent of saying she cute with a good personality? Um, I'm in all kinds of trouble with this. <laughs> Black and white. If you if you let if we separate skills, and I I hate this. I am not a fan of this with quarterbacks in particular. Skills play off one another. It's a whole package, so you really have to to take everything. If we are though to separate the the guts part of it, which is in my opinion just kind of clutch performances, the guys that physically their their blood pressure doesn't rise they find calm in the chaos and they can perform at their best he has that trait that's very important in and of itself if that's the only thing you have well that means you're going to lead you know a two-minute touchdown drive for your team's only touchdown of the game with 30 seconds left and guess what Kenny Pickett did most of the back end of the season? Yeah. So, it, to me, um, Kenny, it, from what we saw, and we, we saw improvement, Kenny should be throwing a better deep ball than he does. I felt at Pitt, uh, that was his best asset. I, I loved the mentality that he had. He could hit the stuff over the top. I didn't see him throw that very well. Now, I am not – when I evaluate a player, please know this, I don't look at results. It's not about who caught the ball. It's not about how many yards it went for. It's about how he received the ball, how he surveyed the field, where his feet were, what his motion looked like when he released the ball, how far the ball traveled, and where it landed 
in reference to the intended receiver. Hopefully the receiver catches it. That doesn't happen every time. That's not the point in evaluation. Okay. Perfect passes get dropped. Receivers run the wrong routes. The quarterback could put it exactly where it was supposed to go. Those things happen. You have to look at it in the vacuum of, did he get the ball, read the field calmly, set his feet correctly, throw the ball fluidly and put it where it was supposed to go. That's what you're evaluating. I feel Pickett missed on that more often than I thought he would have with the Steelers because I thought he did it damn well at Pitt. Doesn't have a howitzer of an arm. He's not putting it 70 yards down the field on a line. I don't necessarily think you need that, but you do need to be able to hit uh, deeper arcing passes to your guys outside the numbers. That's the NFL, not defined as such, but you need to be able to hit deep. Um, I don't think he did that very well. There were some issues, um, in, in my opinion, with him on the move a little bit, hitting stuff. Um, if he didn't set his feet to throw the ball, there wasn't good velocity on it. Oftentimes, he, he overthrew a bunch of stuff. I think he gets a little bit too fired up. Some of that uh, it is a mental challenge because he's loading up and trying to throw the thing through a wall because he knows he can't throw very hard. That's a problem that you have to worry about. He's got work to do. I will say this, though and I, I don't want to stray too far here, Lance, but um, Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer, or excuse me, it wasn't Albert Breer, it was Connor Orr, uh, wrote a piece on Brock Purdy when he was just starting to ascend, like after his first or second start. Great story. What happened? Why was this guy the last pick of the draft? He comes in and starts and looks like he belongs. Um, the main thing that he emphasized, and we talked about this last week, was the amount of work that he put in with a throwing coach. He was able to correct a lot of the issues that he had with his mechanics, and he's a very different player than he was his senior year at Iowa State. Take, take the first five throws that he had in the NFL um, on the regular season stage versus the last five throws he had at Iowa State. Vastly different player. Kudos to him for, for that improvement. Pickett needs to continue that kind of a process. I'm sure he is right now. He's paid a lot of money. He's worth an insane amount of money. He knows what it's worth. I'm sure he's throwing as we're recording this. He has to put that work in mechanically because he's got to listen to the show. He's listening to the show right now. Exactly. I'm sure. I'm sure he's He's, got this in right now. Same F you, Kulong. I don't want to hear your nonsense. He's listening to the show, drinking a smoothie. The intermediate stuff, the deeper stuff, I feel like there's room to improve on that. But all of that is usually ancillary to your ability to see where the throw needs to go. One thing with Pickett, my opinion, I I have no idea if Mike Sullivan, the quarterback's coach of the Steelers, agrees with this or not. But my opinion, more of Pickett's um, interceptions later in the year were physical errors. They weren't mental errors. Early on, they were mental errors. I think it seemed like Pickett was jacked up out of his mind. He was just chucking stuff all over the field. Can't, can't do that for very long unless you're you know Justin Herbert and can throw a ball through a wall. You're not going to get away with that all that often, and he didn't. He threw a lot of picks early, dumb mistakes, dumb decisions. He corrected that. I really enjoy that part of Pickett down the stretch. He cut out a lot of the mental mistakes while he still upped his yards per attempt. He was like... 5.8 when he started finished like 6.3 something like that not incredible not you know something that you're going to say he's going to the pro bowl next year but in improvement he got a little bit deeper with his throws you know he was able to hit more of those routes uh the, the he made some physical mistakes in weather like i said he had a, a propensity uh to to 
if you look at a quarterback, his stride, his step forward, that's where you're generating the power when you're throwing the ball. When you really just rip it, it's coming from your lower body. His lower body did not work in sync with his shoulders. When that happens, that's when you see a ball, especially down the middle or down the seam, it's going to sail. When you're releasing the ball earlier than where your arm is, it's because your foot is already planted. In other words, your lower half worked faster than your upper half did. Ball is going to go high on you. Pickett's interceptions, his bad throws, we saw a few of those down the stretch. That's the kind of stuff he needs to work on. I'm sure he's doing that now. And I, I have confidence that he will correct that. But it, when the rubber meets the road, he is not a dude that has high-level traits. And now he's got multiple concussions in a season. They're not going to want him to move much out of the pocket. So I, I don't know what's going to happen to his game. He needs to, to add to uh, his passing ability, his throwing ability, his pure arm talent. He's got to add to that and uh, continue you know, growing mentally. And from a cerebral perspective, he's got to know the game better. We'll see where he is. I'm not 100% sure where it's going to land, but the potential of the offense comes down to Kenny Pickett, okay? I like Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson's not a, a like a game-changing player. Najee Harris, not a game-changing player. Uh, George Pickens, we'll see. You know, we talked about this last week too. Uh, all the talent in the world on an individual catch basis. What's he doing to get open? He doesn't know how to do that yet. The dude barely played football. He had very little division one experience he's played more games as a pro than he did in college okay he needs a lot of work there are a lot of things that he needs to do i'm confident in his ability to do that but he's a highlight machine he's not a great receiver at this point he can catch stuff out of nowhere he's got a massive catch radiance radiance radius that's way bigger than his body and his frame but he's not a great receiver okay he's going to continue to work on that uh their potential I, I don't know. They don't have explosive plays, really. They, they have some guys that can do that, but not, you know, dry aching you up and down the field the way that the top offenses in the league are able to do. They're not that good. They don't have that many weapons. Um, I think they can do better, but this is still probably a 24-point-a-game offense on, on the optimistic side. Here, here's, here, that's interesting. And pick up the double H. want to thank you, double H, for the kind words. Uh, and thank you for the super chat, man. Thank you, Double H. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm laughing at Marcus J um, in the chat because he called uh, Herbert the new Jeff yeah, George. I, I That's love the great. Jeff George reference. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> old school. Because Jeff George is old school. Big up, Marcus J. And Jeff George was the guy that had all the physical talent Jeff in the George world. Jeff George had arm talent for he years. He had arm talent, that but could Jeff throw George. everything. He could never, but he never was consistent and couldn't win. I want to jump into, before we keep moving, um, a great point by Anthony Picano. And big up, Anthony. Welcome to the show. Um, about the management of Kenny. I thought the way that they managed Kenny late in the year was pretty good, and they started to take him a little bit off the leash. But I thought that there was a definitely uh, that the offense started to center more around the running game, trying to play the low turnover game, play to your defense, win late, you know, make some plays, which which is a which is a nerve wracking way to play for fans to watch, and and it's a and it's a nerve wracking sort of way to play because you can't make many mistakes, uh, but. But I think the positive in that was Pickett was able to perform well in that context and not make those plays and be clutch 
in those situations. I'm interested in seeing what happens when they take the leash off of Kenny and allow him to get into every nuance, crack, crevice, and cranny of this particular offense. And, and that leads to the comment from John Pennington, who said, I really think the scheme and the way Canada puts players in the best position to win is the problem. DJ just can't be a feature receiver when you have Pickens on this team. Guys, and, 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 and that's the thing. And that's the thing it always comes down to, for me at least, is dudes scheme. Scheme dudes. Scheme dudes combined. And let me let me give you this nil. Let me look at this. Let me give let me give you this nil. And, and let me let me say this to you listeners. I did a deep dive into the Steelers' skill positions um, over the course of a of a twenty year period. And when people say that the Steelers have, when Neil says the Steelers don't have weapons, it's in context to what they had you're talking about a team that at one point in time had Le'Veon Bell arguably the best running back at the time Ben Roethlisberger top seven quarterback I think we'd all put Ben somewhere in there top seven quarterback at the time they had Martavis Bryant legit deep threat Juju Smith-Schuster and let's just take that combination. Any combination. Are you forgetting Antonio Brown or are we jumping? No, no, I said, I thought, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. And AB, right? And AB. So you had AB and Bell, arguably the two best players at their position for like a five year stretch with Ben Roethlisberger. When you talk about elite offensive years, weapons, that's elite offensive weapons. There's no way in the world yeah. you can compare. Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, and, and there were some combinations there where you could throw Heath Miller in the mix too. Friermuth. The combination of offensive talent is going to limit, in my opinion, how far this offense goes, regardless of coordination and scheme. There's probably just but so much you can get out of this offense because of the personnel because there's going to be plenty of times when the defense has the right call for what you're calling but you're still going to need a dude to make a play i.e you're going to need somebody to get mossed that sort of thing and i, I want to go to what john said um all receivers aren't the same in what they are being asked to do certainly within the structure and the strategy of an offense Deontay Johnson, for what he does, is at this point, considering he played in the league for four years to Pickens one, he's at least twice the receiver George Pickens is. If you want a ball caught at the sideline from an impossible angle, George Pickens is your guy. If you want results on 13 targets to a receiver in the mid-level of the field, it's Deontay Johnson. You easily. That's not even a question. 32 teams in the league would say the same thing. George Pickens, it, it, he's a great highlight player. And you guys didn't even know who George Pickens was. I told you how good he was coming into the league. 
he barely played in college. Okay, he was coming off of a torn ACL after a freshman season in which he was a, a utility player on a, a national champion level Georgia team in a great offense that they had. He was not like an every down player. He wasn't an every down player in Pittsburgh. He's still learning the game. There's a lot more that he needs to do. He does not get himself open. He's a combat catch guy and a damn good one. He's a damn good deep threat. Twice as good as Chase Claypool was after two seasons in the league. I love George Pickens. I love what he's going to bring to the team, but he is your X receiver. That's the outside guy. That's the guy down the numbers. He's running the deep digs. He's running the deep outs. He's running the deep posts. Johnson is the guy doing the dirty work underneath, and you have to be an excellent receiver in order to do that. In other words, you need to be able to separate. You have to get yourself open. Be nice if he caught the ball a little bit more often, though I would argue that that is grossly overblown by Steelers fans. He drops the ball more than you would like for sure. It's not like he has terrible hands or anything, things that he needs to do. But the reality is Johnson's going to be the guy to get the most targets. Just like, you know, in, in your run game, they're going to touch the ball more than your receivers are because generally speaking, it's one guy who gets the ball in the run game and you spread it out a bit among receivers for different situations. Johnson, in other words, you can't flip targets between Johnson and Pickens. They're two completely different players. Okay. They, they are asked to do different things and they do do different things. So Pickens, you hope, uh, let's put it like this. This is where I wanted to go with this Lance. Martavis Bryant didn't play. He didn't dress for the first six games of his career because he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready yet. He also didn't play a whole lot in college. And he was kind of the, the proverbial Tomlinism, the, the one-trick pony. Damn good trick. But until you show that you can at least run something else, putting him on the field is akin to saying he's only going to one he's only going to run one route. We know exactly what he's doing. That's telling the defense what a key skill position player, when you have five of them out there, 20% of your game plan is given away just with him in the huddle. They're aware of what he's going to do. The thing with Bryant, great deep ball, great physical uh, uh, skills, and he was super tall, not a great route runner right away. But the thing that, that Bryant did, he developed an inside game. That's what we're not seeing right now from George Pickens. We will. I'm confident in that. But Bryant could run a slant. Brian could run comebacks and they were using that more and more. They used him in the short game um, opposite Brown. When they had numbers one way or another, they trusted that Brian could get off the line and get his body in a position. He can catch the ball and get upfield and make plays. It's not a question of getting him more targets. It's not a comparative battle between Johnson and Pickens. It's just the Johnson's job is to catch more passes. That's the, the Z receiver. It typically is going to get the ball more often. Pickens is an X. What they do with him next year, I don't know. I, I hope he continues to grow. I think that he will. But getting to the main point, those guys right now, they're not Devontae Smith. They're not A.J. Brown. They're not uh, Debo Samuel. I don't think the Chiefs really have a guy that, that's, that's all that worthy of much right now. But he's not Jamar Chase, not even T. Higgins. Those are dudes, okay? Just because we see our guys all the time, just because everyone freaks out when George Pickens makes some ridiculous highlight catch doesn't mean that he's a dude, doesn't mean that he's a great receiver. He's a very young receiver who has not played the game very much. He's got, the he's got a lot of work beat. he has to do. He's got potential. Yeah, and it, it, I have no doubt he's going to get there, but the reps have to come. 
time takes time. You know, he's going to have to put in the work. I feel he'll do that, and I don't think we could see a receiver put in less work than what it seems Chase Claypool did. That's why they drafted Pickens. That's why they moved Claypool inside. <laughs> and keep in mind, we laughed about this at the time. Claypool was the guy who announced the pick. He literally announced the guy who was going yes. to replace him. <laughs> yes, and I said was... that at the time, too. Pickens <laughs> yes, is, was... is a vastly better X receiver than Claypool is going to be. I would bet my life on that. But Pickens hasn't played much. He has a lot of work he needs to do to round all of that out. I'm confident that he will, but we don't see that right now. I don't think that happens overnight either. A lot of work you got to put in. Johnson put in that work. Johnson got a lot better. Johnson is a good receiver. Limited ceiling-wise, he's not going to be a big play guy at, at any point in his career, but he can get open. And he hopefully they can figure out a way to get the ball to him and get him free. They really struggled with that this season. Uh, that will help their offense considerably. In fact, I, I think that's the, the missing ingredient to all of this. They were terrible after the catch this year. Terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the thing, and I want to jump into this comment from Mark Sloss. And Mark said, I would be happy if this av- this offense could average 24 points a game with this D. 18 is pathetic. I, they, I want they were you, at 15. And, and, and they <laughs> were at 15. The year, they were and they were at 15. That 24 is interesting because part of my little deep dive into the Steelers skill groups from 04 to 2022 was their average points per game under the particular coordinators. And keep that number 24 in in your head. Under Ken Wisenhunt, they averaged 23.4. Under Bruce Arians, they averaged 23.0. Now or 23. Now, this is with Ben Roethlisberger and very good weapons. Under Todd Haley, they averaged 25. Under Randy Fickner, they averaged 24. And under Matt Canada, they're averaging 19. Their high average for the year was in three particular seasons. 2014, they averaged 26.6. In 2017, and both of these are with Haley, they averaged 26.4. With Fickner 26.8 in 2018. And in 2020, with Fickner, they averaged 26.6. Some of the offensive players in those groups, Lav Bell, LeGarrette Blunt, Heath Miller, A.B. Wheaton, Bryant, Vance McDonald, Juju, Martavis Bryant. When you hear those names, those names are clearly better than the guys that you have now. But that 24. Even for Ben Roethlisberger, being a Hall of Famer, two-time Super Bowl champion, with these type of weapons that he had, they still had trouble breaching that 24 number, which tells you when you throw this stuff just on paper, oh, yeah, next year they're going to average 24. We can get to it. Averaging seven more points a game over the course of a season is a lot of work. You need some dudes. You need great coordination. You need a bunch of stuff to happen. So, you know, when I look at it, you know, I think that, you know, if you went from 18 to 22, that seems like a reasonable jump. And that might be a lot, an additional four points a game over the course of the season. But this jump to 25 is... It's going to be tough. And I say all this to say that going into the conference championships on the AFC side, 
you know, you have Joe Burrow in the division, Cincinnati loaded, Joe Burrow on a rookie contract. He's soon to not be, so they better win soon uh, because he's going to be counting about $50 million against the cap probably next year or within the next two years. You got Patrick Mahomes, the gold platinum standard at quarterback. And, 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 so, and so quarterback is so deep in the AFC. When you look at it moving forward, it's going to be tough. And, and getting to this 24 points per game and 25 and this 26 that you need and this 27 is going to be tough. I think what we're saying is they need dudes. But I think the key to all of it is Kenny. Kenny has to be that guy. The Steelers are going to make that jump and ascend, in my opinion, is based on how fast Kenny Pickett develops, how much better he gets in this window where Kenny Pickett is still cheap. They've got a four-year stretch, maybe a three-year stretch, where they've got to get a lot of football done uh, with Kenny Pickett. And I'm just wondering, you know, what this offense is going to look like when they take the reins off Kenny and how much this offense could score. The friend of the program who I will not name, he capped it at 23 points per game. He said that 23 points per game was about as much as he can see this Matt Canada horizontal passing offense producing. What's your thoughts in terms of what do you see next year offensively in the evolution of Kenny Pickett and then bringing back Canada? What I would like to see, not a prediction, I would hope the Steelers see this. I'd imagine there will at least be discussions out of it. They need to get an experienced receiver who can get on the field in week one who is not named Gunnar Olszewski, not named Steven Sims. They need to get a, a, a competent veteran for 11 personnel in an effort to start to use uh, the, the passing game within the passing game. What I mean by that is uh, they need combo routes. They need to set each other up much better than they have. The comment was made earlier at some point in the chat. All they do is just rely on Deontay getting open or chuck it up deep to, to Pickens. That's incorrect, but the spirit of it is right. They're not using them in concert with one another. And a big part of that is because they're not able to go deep uh, successfully well. Quarterback didn't throw it well, Trubisky or Pickett. Their offensive line did not protect well at any point on the line uh, over the course of the year. And it, all of these things lead you to not want to do that because with an offense that's as impotent as the Steelers is, you had to aim small and miss small. They had to take the opportunities they had, try to possess the ball and go the long way down the field. If they start chucking it up, quarterback's going to get hit because they can't protect. He's going to fumble. They can't turn the ball over and, and expect to win games, not with that offense. Or it's going to be an inaccurate pass. It gets picked off, so you're punting on second down. You can't have that. So if, if they want to open that up, they've got to start using each other. Now, they're, they're like a sluggo concept, for example. Um, you're running a post. Uh, you run a post, and underneath that, you're running a drag. The, the receiver the two receivers from opposite sides of the field are working in concert with one another when they're breaking and you're trying to draw zone defenses into conflict. That's the key thing on offense. You want your defender to be put into conflict. 
in the run game that the defender who's in the most conflict is known as the force within the secondary. What you're trying to do is get frozen guys, make a defender have to think twice about what they're doing. And your quarterback is reading both receivers simultaneously because they're working off of each other. The Steelers tragically avoid combo routes. They ran them all the time under Haley and they were hugely successful with it. Having Antonio Brown certainly helps that. This is the kind of stuff, when you talk about motion, um, those concepts come out when you are still running guys off of each other, forcing the defense into conflict and being able to identify as a passer where the open guy is going to be. That's what they need to do more of, and they aren't. They aren't because they've had to run everything so simplified because of a new offensive line and a new offensive line coach. Um, One really dumb receiver, who left midway through the season, thank God, and a a rookie who's barely played once again. And on top of that, zero depth, zero depth. I'm not trying to denigrate the guy, and I don't mean this anything more than I'm just being a smart ass, but do you realize something called Steven Sims was like an integral part of this offense over the last five, six games? Steven Sims, who the hell is he? He's a nobody. Anthony Miller has NFL experience. I would expect him to be first in line for a slot spot. Uh, if he can play some teams, I think it might uh, come down to that for him. Not a great NFL player, but experienced enough that he's going to be able to run these kinds of concepts. They have to be able to do that, first and foremost. That has to be, my opinion, mission critical for the offseason is developing those concepts and getting your quarterback familiar with what they're doing and making sure that your second-year highlight real wide receiver knows how to actually play the game and not just the, the sub-game of highlight sideline catches. He's got to be an NFL receiver. Once they get that going, that's where the explosive plays are going to come from. That's when you do the proverbial throwing a receiver open. That's when they get the ball in space and can make hay after the catch. Didn't do any of that this year. Didn't do it last year. That's my number one complaint about Matt Canada. They didn't do enough of that. I understand why they might not I just don't like that reason. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, it goes it goes to what you're saying, man. It, it it's it's roster. You know, a lot of this is roster construction. Yep, and that's the game. And, the entire and, game and, is roster construction. And and I love what Grayson said. And we're gonna get and we're gonna give you our picks. Pick up the Grayson. Pick up my guy. And he said it doesn't matter who comes out the AFC NFC team will blow them out lopsided. And it and when he says that it comes to roster because you guys can disagree with me or not. There's two paths to the title. You either get the Mahomes guy, you pay him a ton of money, he pulls your team along, he makes up for gaps in your roster because he's arguably an all-time great. He makes up for anything that you lack because you're scoring a ton of points because he's just that dude. He, and he's doing it every single week. You couple that with B enemy and Andy Reid, you make up those differences. That's A. B is the Philadelphia style. You have a guy on a rookie contract, you have a loaded roster, and you have a roster that really supports your quarterback. He becomes a quote unquote systems guy, but that's fine because you got a super roster. You can craft the way you play around him. That, that's the best part of things to me is everyone talks about the, the system for Jalen Hurts, the system for, for Brock Purdy. Is there not talent in doing that? 
I, I don't get it. it Jalen Hurts is as effective as he is because Jalen Hurts, of the quarterbacks who are left, he's the quarterback who most effectively goes against what defense has become in the high leverage passing offense era of the NFL. If they're back in deep cover two, and you're going to see this a lot on Sunday, J, J, take the over for Jalen Hurts rushing yards, whatever it is, by the way. It, at San Francisco plays back. They're playing essentially a cover two. It's a variation, but that's they, they live and die by a cover two defense. That is giving your quarterback the opportunity to run. It's just they don't want quarterbacks running, except for Philadelphia. They're the team that basically said, look, Jalen, you have an option on every single play. We're going to give you a gap if you're sitting in the pocket. We're going to roll you out and let you go along the edge. Just look for your superstar receivers down the field, and you're really good tight end. Dallas Goddard, by the way, is twice as good as Pat Fryermuth, and there's no comparison at all right now between Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown and Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. Not a comparison between those two. Uh, you don't understand the position if you don't see how good those two are on Philadelphia. That, that team is, as, in my opinion, as unbeatable as it gets in the NFL. I think they're going to win it all. I picked them to win it all at the beginning of the year. San Francisco makes hay with the Mahomes equivalent at tight end, at running back, at whatever position you want to call Debo Samuel. They did a phenomenal job building their roster, and it wasn't built for Brock Purdy. All they told Brock Purdy to do was make the right decisions with the ball. It seems simple, right? Well, quarterbacks don't do that very often, in case you haven't noticed. That doesn't happen consistently. Purdy makes it happen. Now, what's going to happen against Philadelphia? I, I, I wouldn't bet on in this week. I'll just say that. And we'll, we'll get into our picks. But the, the reality is you have weapons to make up for whatever it is you're not getting out of your prototypical pocket quarterback. It's not 1993 anymore. Okay. They need quarterbacks need to be weaponized. They need to be able to move. Hertz does that. That's why he's going to be the MVP. And that's why I probably the Super Bowl MVP as well. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Now to, to that point, I think where the Steelers are with Kenny Pickett, because I think Joe Burrow from a physical straight trait standpoint is about the, the lowest you get and still be a superstar guy. Now, with that being said, I think the Steelers have to take the route of they have to load that roster up. They've got to load that roster up and go that route over the next couple of years to try to compete with a team like Cincinnati because the AFC is just tough. You got the monsters in the AFC. And if Aaron Rodgers comes to the AFC as it's being kind of floated, we'll see. It, it gets even worse. Ask people uh, this more than anything, and this is what I think people don't take into account. Do you realize that Travis Kelsey – and George Kittle are two of the five best tight ends to ever play the game, and they're in their prime right now. They play the game in, in a vastly different way because of how good they are. They are transcendent players. Christian McCaffrey is one of the most effective three-down running backs in, in the history of the NFL. He really is. Um, you look at a guy like Debo, he doesn't have a comparison. He is so unique in what he does yet he's so incredibly talented at the same time. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh can't get out of first gear, and these guys are driving in overdrive. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. They have dudes. Pittsburgh doesn't have any dudes. 
great draft class. I like where it's going. That, that's something I think we need to get into more, Lance. A, a really positive draft class last year. Better than they've had lately, that's for sure. They need more of that to, to build on what they're doing. It's not that they're bad. It's just that they aren't the top dogs. They're not – it can't possibly be mistaken for those teams. Buffalo got whipped start to finish in that game, which I picked, you know, by the way. Buffalo got utterly dismantled by Cincinnati. A 27-10 to 10 final score that wasn't even that close. They and Buffalo beat the ever-loving shit out of the Steelers. Okay? That's how far off they are right now. And I'm not saying that to be negative. I just mean that what they have today doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't. They have to continue to build. These can't be the core guys. If they're going to win, these can't be the core guys. Yes, They've got to add more dudes. They've got to get more big-time talent. And they have an opportunity to do that. This is why they fell into sheer luck and a, a totally historically bizarre situation in Chicago, they probably don't need a second-round draft pick. They have to pay up. They have to pay guys to get to the, the floor of the salary cap this year. So paying Chase is nothing to them. They don't need another draft pick. They've got right. plenty of draft picks. So it, they made the move they made because it, it makes sense for them. This is a player they can invest in. I don't know how good that return is going to be, but they have to spend money. So it, for, for Pittsburgh to lock into that situation and get a premium pick for a substandard player who's underachieved to this point in his career, luck. Three picks in the top 50, flukish in a way. But they've got to hit big on all three of those. And they've got to get guys that can make difference, make significant impacts most of the time they play. Yes, I agree. And uh, to Grayson's point uh, about pumping the brakes on Joe Burrow, because the Steelers make him look a certain way well. In that last game, Joe was 24 for 39 for 355 yards per attempt, 9.1 for four TDs and a quarterback rating of 104, and they scored 37 points. So uh, Joe's figured it out uh, in the instances. And last year when they absolutely smashed the Steelers um, last year in those two ball games. Joe's not worried about the Steelers, but let's switch reels and let's get into our picks. Let me give you my picks in terms of the conference championships, and I'm going to even pick it forward for the Super Bowl. Uh, it's going to be very interesting on the NFC side. I have a Niner fan. My wife is a Niner fan. And so it's hard for me to pick against Bang Bang Niner Gang and the faithful, but I got to go with Philadelphia. Uh, I think at some point, the Brock Purdy thing, it gets them. Now, where it's not that he's going to turn it over or make mistakes, it's just that there might be some stuff he leaves on the field. You're, you're asking um, a rookie, the last pick of the draft, a rookie yes. seventh-round quarterback Pretty Purdy. to start a road playoff game and play perfectly. Pretty purdy. That's what you're asking him to do this week. Yes, I are am. you betting on that? I am not. I am. Not. <laughs> I, am I love San Eagles. Francisco. I love the Eagles. I love their coaches. I love everything about what those teams are doing today. To me, this is my Super Bowl. I I, I love both well, of these well, teams. Well, let me easily. Yeah, my sports yeah, yeah, that, yeah. applies to San Francisco and Philadelphia. 
because of what they are doing and how they have constructed their roster and how they play the game. Love both of these teams. Let me ask you real quick, real quick, because you got your Bison uh, hoodie on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the future like for Trey Lance there? Trey, um, reports weren't good. I talked to multiple reporters in that area, just off the record, what they thought. The bulk of it was he wasn't very consistent. He needs time. He needs reps. The injury was the worst thing that could happen to him. Long, uh, a, a long um, He's going to be out for a, a significant period of time. That's a lot of progress he doesn't get to make. He was as raw as any player that's been drafted. He really was. He barely played at an FCS school, and he wasn't challenged when he was there. He was just so much physically better than everybody else. But by the end, the national championship that Trey won with NDSU, he ran 31 times in the title game. They weren't even having him throw that much. You have a high-level second overall draft pick at, at the quarterback position at FCS. You assume he can throw the ball. You watch Trey, he can throw the ball. They weren't having him throw the ball in the title game. What does that tell you? Not really sure. It might be kind of iffy. He had work he needed to do. Um, things have happened in San Francisco. They've had to roll with a lot of different things. I don't know how good Lance would have been, but I know this. What I've seen of Purdy to this point makes it clear to me that, one, Trey Lance is infinitely more talented than, than Purdy is. But, oh, two... Sure. Purdy does exactly what the offense needs to do, and that's not the kind of stuff they were asking Trey to do. So how that impacts Trey moving forward, um, I I don't know. As far as the scheme goes, I'm not sure. I will say this. There's no way in hell Brock Purdy is starting over Trey Lance. They're not trading Trey Lance because now they have Brock Purdy, and you're going to see that this weekend. I will bet on that. We will not be talking about Brock Purdy starting in San Francisco next year. Because he's going to get exposed, and not because he's a terrible person, not because San Francisco is bad. It's just because he's not very talented. And Philadelphia is a very good secondary with a great scheme. They're going to force him to do a lot of things that he's not used to doing. He's either going to get sacked nine times because he's smart enough to not release the ball down the field, or they're going to turn him over like four times. Philadelphia is going to win this game by a touchdown, in my opinion. Yeah, they got to win. And on on the AFC side... You know, I want to pick Kansas City, but I, I just can't. Nope. Um, I, I, I think uh, Kansas City is not good enough up front to take advantage of Cincinnati's injury issues. And I think the uh, what's what's the coordinator's name? Amarudo. Amarudo. I think he he has a he has a nice rhythm to what he wants to do against Kansas City's offense. And of course, you know, the big question is. Mahone's ankle Um, because I thought I watched that game again from this year and um, I thought Kansas City played really well um, in Cincinnati and had an opportunity to win that game but uh, you know Cincinnati came back late um, and won that game with a couple of scores late in the game Um, but I think Joe Burrow and, and the Cincinnati Bengals are going to beat the Chiefs again and I, I think that uh the Eagles will smash the Bengals um, in the Super Bowl, because the Eagles will take advantage of that offensive line if it's not healthy. Hassan Reddick and them boys, they will get after Cincinnati. They're, so I like Philadelphia so to good. win. Super Bowl. I like Philadelphia to win it. Philadelphia has so much talent uh, all over their team. I, I love what they've done, uh, what they've they've created there. But Cincinnati, here's the thing: 
and I'll, I'll be labeled a, a Burrow hater for this, and I'm totally fine with that because I am the biggest defender of the, the Bengals' defense there is. Look at what the Bengals' defense did last year. Objectively, did Joe Burrow play well in the Super Bowl? No. No, he didn't. He had the, the massive push-off touchdown. Beyond that, he didn't do anything significant in that game. I don't think he would have been the MVP if they won. He wasn't that good. Cincinnati's defense played four consecutive Super Bowl champion-level performances, especially against Kansas City. Kansas City touched them up a bit in the first half of the championship game last year, but Cincinnati shut them down like they haven't been shut down in the Mahomes era, that second half, and in overtime. Keep that in mind. That defense looks the same now that it did last year. I have a real tough time thinking that high ankle sprain Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hillless Kansas City, can beat that defense. It's not going to happen. Um, Cincinnati got healthy at the right time. What I mean by that is they got Mixon back. They got Chase back. They've had the offensive line that they have right now all year. We saw Cam Hayward utterly – if we've seen a baptism by fire moment in the NFL, it was Cam on Bison Legend Cordell Volson in week one. (laughs) That was as savage a beating as we're going to see. Chris Jones is capable of doing that as well. But Cincinnati's offense has done enough that they're, they're able to make up for the shortcomings they have on their line because here's that word again, Lance, they have dudes. Okay. Your receivers able to get open in two seconds off the snap, help your protection. Your quarterback just needs to release the ball, throw the ball to the open guy. You don't get sacked all that often. It's amazing how that works. Then on top of that, you're able to run. You're, you're able to run a gap. You're able to get outside. You're able to use your running back in a screen. The, the Bengals can do all these things offensively. They are not like a, a high-octane, dominant kind of off scoring offense the way the Chiefs can be. But they are very efficient. And probably more than the other teams in the playoffs right now, That this is credit to Cincinnati, they're the team among the four that will not beat itself. We've seen yeah, the Eagles I lose agree. games beating themselves. We've seen San Francisco beat itself. In fact, it came pretty damn close last week to doing it. Um, it, it certainly Kansas City has beaten itself it, multiple times. They usually do that. Cincinnati will not beat itself. So to me, I, I you know Cincinnati's favored now as of uh, Wednesday morning. The last I saw it, it was Chiefs by one and a half, which is basically a pick 'em. I'm I'm taking Cincinnati. I think they're going to win. So your Super Bowl, I think, is the same as mine. Eagles, Eagles, Bengals. Eagles from there, the Super Bowl. A lot we're going to have to go over. I don't want to make a prediction now. It's a long way off. We've got to see yes, it and is. stuff yes, like that. But if they were playing each other this weekend, oh, man, that would be a fun game. Uh, schematically, I would love to see that Super Bowl. Um, I'd go with the Eagles probably, but it would be a damn good game. Cincinnati, in my opinion, Cincinnati is second to Philadelphia and most likely to win the Super Bowl this year. I would say I would agree with that. Um, much better team than they're well. giving credit for because all we do is slobber all over Joe Burrow all the time. It's not Joey. Burrow that's making that happen. It's their defense. Joey, cool. And they got superior weapons. They got dudes like we've been talking about this entire program. They went and got Joe Burrow's guy, Jamar Chase. And you see what happened. It has ripped it apart. And now they are on the doorstep of being – back-to-back Super Bowl participants, the Cincinnati Bengals. And with this, listeners, we are going to conclude the show. want to thank Double H for the Super Chat. want to thank you guys for listening to the program. 
please continue to like and subscribe. I always forget to say that, but if you're in the chat, you've been listening to the program, please like and subscribe to the program. It does help. It does make a very big difference. But with that, we are going to conclude the program. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. Go Steelers.